Hey everybody, uh, as you can probably tell by the episode title, this is going to be a topic that I know is very sensitive for many people out there in the world. And coming into a you know Christian podcast, and especially one like this where you know I tend not to be bound by necessarily tradition, but instead I want to go directly to what does God's word reveal. Uh, I can appreciate that there might be some nervousness on, you know, what am I going to say, and is this something that someone who has maybe lost a child wants to hear, or, you know, am I going to be a downer or, uh, you know, unkind or unloving. Uh, So if you're, you know, wondering if you want to devote your time to this, if you're wondering if this is going to be, you know, a good thing for you to listen to, um, I will give you a bit of a spoiler. Uh, This will be a hope-filled episode. Um, I will, of course, try to stick to what God's Word reveals, maybe even uh, cast aside some misconceptions we might have. But if you're wondering, you know, if if you're someone who's experienced the hurt of losing a child or, you know, losing a child in your family or things like that, then um, just be encouraged that I I do think this will be worth listening to for you. But uh, as always, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of life so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. And in this episode, I want us to basically think biblically about whether or not babies go to heaven. I do know uh, from what um, I've heard others say and just common sense that there's probably no greater pain that a parent can experience than to lose a child. Uh, there's a feeling that of, of wrongness that the parent should never experience what it's like to lose their child, that they should not have to bury their child. And within the Christian faith, we understand what God's word says about that there will be a judgment at the end of life and that Jesus Christ alone is the only way to heaven. And so that can often prompt the question of, do babies go to heaven? You know, outside of Christianity or in maybe more nominal Christianity where people kind of use Christianity as a crutch or as just a comfort, it's an easy answer. Oh, well, of course, because that makes us feel better. It soothes our our souls. It uh, comforts our hearts to say, oh, of course, babies go to heaven. But as followers of Jesus Christ, of course, we want to make sure that we are true to what God's word reveals and true to God's character, whether or not we like it, whether or not it makes us feel good, because ultimately God is truth and we want to stay true to what he has revealed, not we, not what we would prefer that he's revealed. So I just want to spend this episode talking about ultimately, what can we know from God's word, from who God is, from what he's revealed? And can we gain any kind of definite statement, or if not a definite statement where God's word clearly says yes or no, then can we make a very plausible assumption? Or can we look at all the evidence and say, based on this, the weight falls to yes or no? And so that's really all we're going to do today. Now, the first thing that I want to do before really getting into God's word is talk about maybe two misconceptions that we might have with this topic. Uh, The first is what I kind of hinted at earlier or at the very beginning, and that is that, oh, well, of course, babies go to hell. And, you know, people who believe this are not typically, obviously, there's people out there who are just horrible. But for the most part, people who might wonder or who might say, biblically speaking, it's possible babies do not go to heaven. 
where these people would come from is the reality that when Adam sinned, we inherited that sin guilt with him. It was it was applied to all humanity. Uh, you know, the psalm says that in sin did our my mother conceive me. In other words, we are born sinners. We aren't born completely guiltless. We are we are born guilty. We are born with a bent towards sin. And so through that, we would say that because of what's called original sin, anyone who dies without Jesus Christ having paid the penalty for that sin cannot go to heaven because God cannot allow unpunished sin into heaven. And so they would say that anyone, including the unborn or those who, uh, you know, die young, would have to stand for judgment based on maybe not sin that they committed, but the sin inheritance that we have from Adam that is applied to all of humanity. Now, biblically, that makes sense if we look at it in just a narrow scope, but I'm not going to get into that too much right now, simply because that's going to be kind of the the argument that I'm going to be making against that for this episode. But I did want to just kind of lay out where that misconception might come from or why someone might assume that, because I'll be honest, when I was growing closer to Christ and I was trying to get past what does tradition say, but instead, what does God's word say? This is honestly what where I fell for a time is I, I couldn't rationalize or understand, okay, how can I stay true to God's word and argue that that all babies go to heaven because they have sin guilt on them. But as we're going to see, I think that we can still understand that humanity inherits sin, but then has something else on top of that, that we can look at when it comes to children. Now, misconception number two is going to be kind of the opposite of that. And that is that those who use one specific verse to make a declarative and definite statement that of course, all babies go to heaven And I know that this is a passage that a lot of parents in mourning find great comfort in. But again, I want to make sure that we are true to God's word. And so I want to just briefly talk about why this passage doesn't prove to us that babies go to heaven. Now, this is in 2 Samuel 12, 23. And just for some context on this, God told David that his child was going to die because of David's sin guilt, basically. Um, and so David had been in mourning, he had been suffering and struggling while his his child was still in the womb. But when the baby died, then David basically stopped mourning and his servants and people were just confused and, and very critical of him because how can you not still be in mourning? You know, your child has died. You know, how can you how can you suddenly stop mourning now? This is the time to mourn. And so in response to people's kind of confusion and criticism, David says in 2 Samuel 12, 23, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So here the argument is that David is saying that he will go to his child and David knows that he's going to heaven. And so if he thinks he's going to his child, the only thing that makes sense is that David is saying that, ah, my child is currently in heaven and I will go to him. However, there's two things that we need to kind of understand here. One is that just because something is said in the Bible doesn't make it true. And by that, I mean that when God's word is quoting a human being, 
then the only thing we can know is that this is what somebody said. So we can know that David said it, but just because he said it doesn't make it true. Because if you read, you know, the New Testament and the Old Testament, whenever people are quoted, there are times where people will say things that simply are not true. I mean, look what the Pharisees say. We see them quoted, but we know that the things they're saying are not true. So just because it's in God's word, we need to look at the context of, is this something that God is definitely saying, or is this something that a human being is saying? Um, Another thing to look at here is the fact that we don't know definitively that he's saying that this child is in heaven. David is just saying that he will go to where the child is. Now, if you read the Old Testament, the language or the idea that is often used is that when they die, they go to Sheol or the grave, and that's where everybody goes. So what David's basically saying here is that he can't bring the child back to life, but he knows that one day he will go to the grave where his child is. And we also know that people in the Old Testament, when they died, didn't go to heaven at all because Jesus Christ had not paid the penalty for the Old Testament saints. And so they went to a place called Uh, paradise or Abraham's bosom, where it was kind of like a waiting room for the Messiah to come and pay the sin penalty that everyone had had when they died. But that's not to say that this verse is useless to us, because even though we can't say, oh, this is true because it's said in the Bible, what we can know is that David was a man after God's own heart. David understood the law of God. He understood to a degree who God truly was and how he operated. Again, as much as any human could. And we also know that David was not perfect. But what we can know is that David knew things about God. David had a worldview. And because of that worldview, he made this statement. He said something that he believed in. And he, it's not just what he said was filled with hope, but how David responded was filled with hope because David was hurting and he was struggling because he knew that he would not get to meet his child, that he would not get to hold him and see him grow up. And so David was in mourning because he was essentially hoping that, you know, maybe God would somehow change his mind or that David had misunderstood him or something like that. But when the child fully passed away, David, because of the hope that he had in God, stopped his mourning, stopped his weeping because of his worldview. And so what I want us to look at and to think about is what did David know about God? What had God revealed about himself that might inform him that maybe his child was not being punished at that time? So here's what I think David knew, and here's where I think that we can gain a great amount of comfort in understanding how God treats the unborn or the young. So what David knew is that In Deuteronomy, we see part of the story of God dealing with Israel after they had left Egypt. Now, if you're familiar with any story involving Israel, one of two things is probably happening. Either Israel is turning back to God or they're turning away from God. It seems very rare that they're just like on a good, long-term, even step with God. And so in Deuteronomy, we're going to look at a time when Israel had fallen away from God. And this is when basically they were supposed to enter the promised land, but they doubted God. They disobeyed him. And as a result, God told Israel, hey, you who have rejected me, you who have disobeyed me, you are not going to enter the promised land. They were being judged and punished for their sin. However, even though God was proclaiming this judgment over Israel, Not all of Israel who was alive at that time was going to suffer this judgment. 
And so look at what it says here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 39 to 40. It says, Moreover, your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your sons, who this day have no knowledge of good or evil, shall enter there. And I will give it to them, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn around and set out for the wilderness by way to the Red Sea. So here we see that despite their parents' sin, despite them being present and part of this group who was guilty before God, these children were not being held accountable for decisions that they had not made. God essentially made them exempt from a judgment placed on an entire group. And this is a a revealing of who God is and how he thinks and how he treats children. In this very narrow situation, people had sinned. An entire group was guilty before God. But God said, you adults, you who chose to disobey will not see the promised land. But these little ones, these ones who don't know good or evil right now, they will be able to enter into my promise. They will be able to obey and inherit what I've promised them. And so obviously we know that eventually these children would grow up and they would know good and evil. And as again, we know from Israel, they would know a lot of evil and they would have their own punishments to deal with. But when they were children, when they could not choose themselves to sin, God said, I'm going to overlook them. I will not wrap them up in your punishment. And so this is a large part of what I think David's worldview understood about God. Again here, it's not saying declaratively no child is ever guilty when they can't understand good or evil, when they when their conscience isn't mature enough or developed enough to understand even within their own context, maybe not even knowing the law of God. You know, as we see in Romans, even if you don't know the law of God, you still know good or or evil. But here we see that God in his nature, in his loving and perfect character, is willing in this situation to say, because they did not choose evil, I will not punish them for evil. Be- just because of what their their parents did does not mean that I will hold them guilty because they did not choose to disobey me. They didn't even understand enough to disobey me. And again, that is what I think David may have understood when he was thinking about his child in that when the child was was dead, David wasn't wondering, is he being held guilty? Is he being punished right now? Is he still guilty before God? David seemed at peace when the child had passed because one, there was nothing David could do. And two, David trusted his sovereign God to treat his child fairly. Now, I'd also like to look at just a couple other places where we can see how God talks about children or thinks about children in light of sinfulness. And again, I'm going to say that God's word doesn't just give us a flat declarative statement of all children go to heaven or children don't go to heaven. The Bible doesn't say that because as I say over and over again, the Bible is not a rule book, right? It's not just this thing where God lays out everything. The Bible is first and foremost, the story of redemption of God's perfect creation of our fall and then God working throughout history to build up to Jesus Christ. And then from there, from his redeeming death and resurrection and paying for our sins, then we see from that in the New Testament how we are now to live, how we are to understand God, what salvation is, you know, culminating ultimately with God's ultimate 
redemption, which is the very end of Revelation, where everything is remade. Those who are redeemed by the blood of Christ get their new bodies and get to live with him forever. So God's word is not going to show us, obviously, oh yes, here, here's a definite statement that you can hold me to. But again, we're going to look just like with the Deuteronomy passage, just like with David's worldview. We're going to see, okay, how is God portrayed? How do we see him and how can that inform how we are to understand him now? Now, the first that I want to look at is in Jeremiah 19.4, which says, Because they have forsaken me and have made this an alien place and have burned sacrifices in it to other gods that neither they nor their forefathers nor the kings of Judah had ever known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent... And now God goes on to pronounce judgment on them. But the thing that I want to focus on here is that Israel was messing up again. They were, um, you know, worshiping other gods. And here God accuses them of filling the land with the blood of the innocent. Now, today, when we talk about, oh, children are innocent or, you know, innocent people died in this war or in this tragedy or whatever, we throw around the word innocent very flippantly. We just say, oh, anyone who wasn't an outright evil, wicked person that we as a society hate, we call them innocent. But when God's word uses the, the word innocent, we need to stand up and pay attention because that is a significant word to God. To declare something innocent in biblical terms is to say that someone or something is blameless. And as we know, in a biblical worldview, none of us are good. None of us are holy. None of us are righteous. We are all guilty. We all love sin. No matter how good we may seem by worldly standards, we're all pretty awful, terrible people, right? And so if God is going to call someone innocent, we need to really pay attention to the fact that the holy God of the universe is using that specific word to describe a group of people. So what is going on here? Well, depending on how much you know about the Old Testament um, pagan gods that Israel liked to worship, one of the gods enjoyed child sacrifices. And so what they would do, and I'm not going to get into graphic detail, but basically they would basically burn children as a sacrifice on a, on a metal altar to a god. And here, God is essentially judging them and saying, by you sacrificing your children, you have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. And like I said, verse 5, it goes on to be a little more descriptive of what that is. Uh, verse 6, God kind of pronounces judgment on them for that. But the important thing to realize is that God, the holy God of the universe, the God who declares the, the righteous from the guilty, he has said that these children who were burned on these altars to Baal, they were innocent guiltless. Again, not a, a definitive statement about heaven, but this is a revelation. This is God showing his heart, his mind, and his anger and outrage about what Israel had done. And it's because they killed innocents, those who in no way had done anything wrong. Now, if we go to Ezekiel, we can see Israel basically doing the exact same thing. Um, in Ezekiel 16, verse 20 to 21, it says, Moreover, you took your sons and daughters whom you had borne to me and sacrificed them to idols to be devoured. Were your harlotries so small a matter? You slaughtered my children and offered them up to idols by causing them to pass through fire. 
And here again, God is making a very clear and important statement by the words that he's using as he is judging Israel. In Jeremiah, he talked about children being innocent. And here, he talks about children in two different ways. First, he says that you took your sons and daughters who you had born to me and sacrificed them. So he's saying you took your kids, your own flesh and blood. But then what does God say after that? He says, you slaughtered my children. God had declared ownership over these children, these children who hadn't done right or wrong, those who hadn't made choices to choose evil over choosing God. And so here, when God is judging them for what they've done, when after Israel had sacrificed their children again to pagan gods, God gives these children a title reserved only for those who truly belong to God. He uses a possessive pronoun, my, my children. God is claiming ownership over them. They were, they were offending God. They were sinning against him, not just because they were killing people, not just because they were killing innocents, but also because they were sacrificing God's children to pagan gods. They were in such rebellion that they were basically just destroying everything good about who God was and what he desired. And again, what is that showing us about God? That's showing us that God is viewing children in a very special and unique way to where even today we are sacrificing our children to gods. We're sacrificing them to the God of comfort, the God of careers, the God of money, the God of partying, of having fun, of fear and worrying that we aren't going to be able to care for children or that we don't know what we're doing. We are slaughtering thousands upon thousands of children to the God of our own pleasures and desires. And the problem isn't that we're just sacrificing children or that we're sacrificing innocent children. But I believe based on what God has revealed about himself that we can say that we are sacrificing his children for our own desires, for our own happiness, for our own comfort and easy living. Now, I'd like to look uh, for one last thing just at the New Testament. Uh, Matthew 19, 14, classic verse many people are familiar with. But Jesus said, Let the little children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now, this may not be as clear-cut, because depending on what Christ means by it belongs to, to people or to children such as these, he could mean that... It just belongs to those that have a childlike faith, because that was the object lesson he was saying. Or it could mean that heaven is filled with innocent children, those who died having not known right or wrong, good or evil, and been able to make that choice for themselves to rebel and sin against God, as we all do. And because of that, they essentially are in heaven. And that heaven at this point would be filled with children who were not waiting in Abraham's bosom for the Messiah to pay for their sin. So this isn't the strongest one, but it is one that I'd like to highlight that if Christ is indeed saying that heaven is filled or it currently belongs to children, then that would be why is because children, when they pass away, they pass away not needing their own sins to be forgiven because they have not chosen to sin. They have inherited sin, a sin nature. They have inherited what we would call original sin from Adam, but they have not chosen to act upon that innate desire to rebel against God and to love and serve ourselves. 
So biblically speaking, those are the ways that I would understand and argue that children do indeed go to heaven, that babies, whether they are lost in the womb through some kind of childbirth defect, whether they are killed by their parents, whether they just die young outside the womb. I believe that there is a very, very strong argument to be made for the reality that based on who God has revealed himself to be, he does not hold them guilty in the same way that he would hold you and me for our own choices to sin. But again, I don't think that we can say, oh, the Bible definitively declares it. It's there, black and white. It's so clear. I don't think it is. I think that it's easy to want it to be there. But I think that there is some doubt that we can have simply because the Bible does not exist to answer all the questions that we have. It exists to point us ultimately to Jesus Christ and to reveal God's plan of redemption throughout history. But any doubt that we may have, any struggle we may have, or even those of us who are unhappy or saying, well, that means that God could send children to hell. Here's what we need to do. And here's what we ultimately always need to do. Whenever we are in doubt about what something means, about a truth in the Bible, about how God is, ultimately, we need to just cast aside our doubts and trust in God's goodness. The Bible doesn't declare a lot of things outright. There's a lot that we just don't understand, but that we can have confidence in based on what God has revealed. I believe the destiny of children is one of those things. I don't think that there is an age of accountability. I'm not going to get into that this episode. Because based on what God has revealed, I don't think there's a magical age, but instead there seems to be this emphasis on knowing right and wrong, good and evil. So whatever age that happens, whatever level that happens in, I think to a degree we might even be able to apply that to those who are mentally disabled to a degree that they still have a, a one or two year old's way of thinking. But that's a side topic. My point is that... We don't know with absolute certainty, but what we do know is that we can always trust God to be unchanging. And because God never changes, that means that when God is perfectly good, perfectly just, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous in all he does, then we know that when it comes to the fate of children who pass away before they can even understand the gospel, we can trust that whatever however God sees them, however he deals with them, that it's going to be good and perfect and pure and just. And so if the God that we see revealed in the Bible would not hold children guilty for that, then we can trust that he doesn't. He's not going to change his mind. He's not going to have updated or downgraded from when he showed himself in the Bible. Who he is in the Old Testament is the same as who he is in the New Testament. Who he is in the New Testament is the same as who he is today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we know that we can trust, like what Psalm 145.9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. God is good. He is good to us in sending Jesus Christ and in electing us for salvation. He is good to all his creation, to where even those who are going to die in their sin still get to enjoy some pleasures and some joy and some blessings in this life. And we also know that he's good to children, both those living and those who are no longer living. And so we can struggle to understand God. We can struggle to 
understand how he might handle the reality of Adam's sin and the inability to understand the gospel message. There's a lot that we can struggle with and we can wrestle with and we can even have doubts and frustrations. But we also know that we have a personal God and we can bring our doubts and our struggles before him. Hopefully we all have at least one person in our lives that God has also blessed us with who can help us to think through and work through these questions biblically. But at the end of the day, as always, we can trust that God is good and that wherever these innocent children of God are now is all in accordance with his perfect and good will. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ. 